Hello and welcome to the Eastern Kicks podcast, a regular magazine program about East Asian film led by me, Andrew Heskins, founder and grandmaster of EastonKicks.com, and James Mudge, our leading writer. Hey Each episode, we'll be taking a look at the latest films, news, and festivals, often chatting to filmmakers and stars along the way. Welcome to the latest show. With the recent release from Criterion of new 4K remasters, we're going to talk about the Infernal Affairs trilogy, from that classic original film to, well, the third film. But more about that later. <laughs> this time, Stephen Palmer has joined us. Hello, boys. Hello, everybody. Hey, <laughs> All right. While later on, Philip O'Connor will share his thoughts on the whole inevitability of the fate for the pair at the centre of the films. But you know what? Let's, let's start with that first important question. What are you drinking this episode, James? Um, well, I'm currently in Scotland in the middle of nowhere, and I'm drinking Tenants. <laughs> nice, nice, nice big can of Tenants Lager. Well, a nice few big cans of Tenants On brand. Uh, it's probably the... I mean, when you're going for that kind of cheap lager, um, which it is, uh, it's probably the best of the best of a variable bunch. You know. <laughs> and I've got some whiskey as well, which is not actually very nice whiskey. It's Shivas 12. There you go. <laughs> Blame Tesco for oh, Morrison's replacing it in my order because I just couldn't get what I wanted. But anyway. Oh, you refused it, James. Uh, uh, what, what uh, you how got? about you, Stephen? Well, as, you al- an- as always, because I'm teetotal, I always feel <laughs> completely out of place on this this bit of the podcast. But no, no, no. You can always have a posh, a posh, posh juice. So what I have is um, Harry Brompton's London Ice Peach Ice Tea, which Ooh. is something. Ice Ooh, tea is something. Is well, not really. But it sounds posh, but yeah, I, I, it's posher than a tenant, surely. Yeah. Well, well I, I do. I do agree. fear that James is so on brand, it's scary. <laughs> living the life, living the dream. So uh, this episode, I am on some Hacker Score Oktoberfest Marzen, a sort of leftover from the uh, Oktoberfest. I am actually breaking the law by drinking it outside of October. I think I, <laughs> I can probably be chased by a German and um, I don't know, something terrible might happen to me. Purity laws. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and that is, I know we are talking about this, it's actually a bit low for me. It's only 5.8%. Well, tenants is about 4, 4, yeah, 4%. So yeah, you're still winning in this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, and on to Infernal Affairs. Recently restored in 4K by old friend and... Uh, occasional guest to B.D. Cheng um, and by his company Nimaginale Trevita and released by Criterion in the US and UK on Blu-ray. so where to start with the uh, with the chat i think it's it's worth starting and, and putting this in some some context um yeah so the the idea of the undercover cop 
which we which is rife in American films as well, really became a bit of a thing in in Hong Kong films. We've got the 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 classic uh, City on Fire, of course, which eventually mm-hmm. became Reservoir Dogs, um, with Chang Yun Fat and Danny Lee. We've got earlier than that, we've got the Alex Young uh, Hong Kong Hong Kong New Wave film, Man on the Brink. Mm. Which actually does plot-wise has a lot of overlap, particularly with I think the the, the second film in the in the yeah. Phil Affair series. Mm. And for me, I think one of the 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 big influences on this is is the Longest Night, yeah, yeah, which definitely. also starred so Tony Leung. Mm. Um, it's all much much darker, um, but yeah, I don't think I mean that film always kind of gets a bit missed out from um, and slightly sort of complicated Milky Way uh, history in that it was credited as being directed by Patrick Yao. That's right. Mainly yeah. directed by Johnny <laughs> Toe. Um, but it's a great film. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on some of the... Um, sure, Stephen, you want to go first then? No. <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking you covered it all, but for me... Uh, there, there, there is a thing that this isn't anything we hadn't seen before mm. um, in terms of any sort of crime thriller with 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 the the undercover cop or whatever in term, in Hollywood or, or Hong Kong cinema, um, it's just that for me. I mean, I, I remember seeing a trailer for this in the cinema, a proper cinema, you know, <laughs> not not a, not a not a boutique cinema or something like yeah. that. And, and and it was that it it somehow had this crossover appeal, mm. um, and I'm not. You know, was it because it was? Glo- and we'll talk about it as as we go yeah. on. But, yeah, yeah, I think we'll come on to that. But it's 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 just you know the glossiness of it, the superstars that are in it, and and all that kind of thing. And it just doesn't feel like a film that is, you know, like totally embedded in Hong Kong. If if you get what I mean, mm. yeah, it, it's it's got a, it's got kind of a, a general appeal because this is a sort of story that we've seen before, and you don't have to be a Hong Kong film expert or aficionado to grasp it I think we'll, we'll come on to a bit more of that kind of looking at the kind of success of the film mm. you know particularly the first one when it came out but I mean I guess the the, the 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 one thing that this did have was the one little kind of flip of the idea is that you have it's not just the police that have an undercover agent it's the triads have an undercover agent as well um, which kind of flips it flipped the idea of we was used to seeing corrupt cops, which again, I mean, you see it in long time, you see it in lots of, of yeah. it's very much a Hong Kong crime thriller thing, but they actually have two undercover agents that they kind of mirror each other. Um, and I think what, what works about it in a sort of Hong Kong context is that, that this, what is a, that kind of almost wuxia mirror image, the, the always, like even in, in films like City on Fire, you've got the undercover cop who's completely divided, divided in his loyalties and, and you know, his morality as well. Um, and that's explored in the Infernal Affairs series. I think that was the one thing that they, they that, that the films did have in the sort of the, con, in the, sort of the idea. And I guess the other thing that, 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 it, that, the, that the whole trilogy does is this, the, they keep having these quotes about um, this the sort of Buddhist idea of continuous hell um, mm. and continuous suffering and um, not being an expert on, on, on Buddhism by any means, but you know they keep bringing this up. You know, like the the, the, the <laughs> quote in the first film, um, 
not knowing how well it's, it's translated, but yeah, the worst of eight hells is called continuous hell. It is the meaning of continuous suffering. That's the name. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, according to Buddha, he who is in continuous hell never dies, um, except when he does. Um, but then he doesn't, as we find out with the trilogy. So mm -hmm. it, is, it, it, it is a little bit of a riff. It is a bit of a different idea. Um, and I kind of, to play into a bit of what we're talking about, the success of this film, the, the, we have this, this core creative team throughout the trilogy um, who then go off and, and do several other films uh, and we'll, we'll get into that later on. But yes, you've got um, the directors, Andrew Lau, um, who uh, had started as a cinematographer and worked for Wong Kar Wai, um, and Alan Mack, um, and Alan Mack was also the screenwriter with Felix Chong, and they started quite a, a partnership that, that ran for, throughout the, the noughties and into the 2010s. Mm -hmm. And the editors on the film were Danny Pang and um, Curran Pang. Um, I'm not sure of the relation, I'm obviously he, he, he is a relation, but um, you know, so Danny Pang uh, is quite an established filmmaker in his own right. Curran Pang, who's always been the sort of right-hand man of the the Pang Brothers films. So you've got a really solid, solid team behind them. And then, you know, as you were saying, Stephen, you've got this, you know, we start with these, you know, two of the biggest stars, Tony Leung, who I think much more than Andy Lau had a real international appeal thanks to In the Mood for Love. And it's interesting that, particularly on that first film, the visual consultant is Christopher Doyle. So you've got the one car way connection coming in again. Um, you've got, you know, you've got a great cast. I mean, you've got Ashley Wong, you've got Eric Chang. Um, you've got really great female leads who aren't necessarily, as, as, as an often a criticism of, of a lot of sort of gangster type films that they're not really given a lot of screen time. Um, but I always feel like they um, that 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 here you you don't see much of Kelly Chan and you don't see much um, particularly um, Sammy Chang. But what they do do is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So I mean that first film. I mean I think we all can remember kind of seeing it the first time and and being really impressed by it. You know. Um, Looking back, what, what what do you guys make of it now? Um, it it's still still just as good as it was. In some ways, kind of better than it was, I guess, because at the time when it came out as well, we were kind of um, you know, in that sort of mad swathe still of Asian content coming across uh, right at the start of mm. the the two thousands and stuff. So it was still great, and there were so many great films coming out then and everything. But um, to an extent as well, for a lot of people, you know, who is learning about. Hong Kong cinema and everything like that. It's, it's still now when I watch it again, I I can see what a departure it was from the the nineties uh, from Hong Kong mm. cinema and everything because Hong Kong cinema was pretty much dead um, by by that ninety late nineties. Whether it was the financial crisis, the box office collapse, and you know SARS and everything like that. We, we, every, you know, then the handover coming in, so everything about it was in complete chaos and not in a good like Hong Kong eighties chaos type of way and stuff. Oh, 
嘅差人。喂，金哥，呢度咧而家我已经加枪，如果要出货嘅，俾电话我啦。你收到我哋嘅枪度，抢走呢部落去。嗰陣時，我寫唔到落去啊！我都唔知關好人定壞人。你就係嗰只牌。我以前冇得揀，我而家想揀翻做好人。對唔住，我係差人。Looking back at it now and seeing the context under which it was made and everything, it's. I mean, it's not. I mean, as Stephen was saying, like it's nothing you haven't seen before and everything. But when I watch it again now, I did. I did. I haven't seen the remaster, but I saw it again not long ago, and you can really. It's got a different level of craftsmanship than a lot of stuff in the nineties. I mean, nineties Hong Kong was still portraying Hong Kong as like chaotic, quite dirty and quite sleazy and neon lights and everything. I mean, the nineties. Was a kind of a mixture of that and the kind of John Woo side of action. And then when he went yeah. off to when he went off to Hollywood, it just left this void in Hollywood action cinema because Johnny Toe hadn't really stepped up properly into action at that point still. So,、um, and I think also it 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 did create a different. And I think for some of us who followed a lot of of of、um, you know been following Hong Kong film for 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 years by the point this came、mm. along. You know, as you say, I mean, it 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 deliberately went a different line in terms、yeah. of the action. It didn't try, and there were lots of people that did try and do action films. But you know, if it's not going to quite get to that sort of、um, hard boiled, better some、yeah. kind of level of excellence, then exactly, it's never going to be. It's never going to be the same. Whereas this deliberately went for much more something that was much more cerebral. I mean, watching、yeah. it again recently, I think, and this is something I, I always find with the with, with particularly the first one. There's a lot that happens in the first sort of twenty odd minutes where it's、mm. doing a lot of setting up, yeah,、um, and that that's quite a lot to take in,、mm-hmm. and it's it's like when they get into that first scene where they're doing the stakeout and there's a tapping on the window, etc. We <laughs> should have said up front, you know, if you haven't seen your final first trilogy, there will be spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't、will. think there's any way we could talk about the the, the trilogy without、no. there being spoilers because just by the very note of. I think if you listen、um, to this podcast and you haven't seen it in the last twenty years, you'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really、it, you're probably listening by mistake. <laughs> But it's at that point that it really kind of settles into itself,、um, and the the way that it's put together,、uh, the first film is is easily it is the shortest of all of them. It's、mm. only just over a hundred minutes.、Um, it kind of come back to what I was kind of.、Um, Uh, suggesting before by talking about you know some of the, the, the some of the characters a lot of the characters are around you see them but not for very long you've got the the Chapmanteaus the very likable、um, chubby little gangster you know who throughout the whole series actually、um, you know and you've got the 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 the, the,、um, the wife of the Andy Lau's character by Sammy Cheng and so on you they did there's a there's a lot of lean filmmaking in this there's not a lot of it doesn't dwell too much on once we get into that sort of twenty minute point there's not a lot of dwelling on 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 the background of the characters it's doing a lot with very little in a really good way I think you don't、mm. you the the writing and the way it's edited gives you 
absolutely everything you need to know about these characters, the, the performances and what, what they do, without going into it a hell of a lot. You know, it doesn't really... It doesn't waste a lot of time with... Once you pass that initial block of exposition, it doesn't waste a lot of time really mm. kind of throwing any more of that at you, I think. No, I think that's true, and that's one of the other interesting things about the film because, you know, it's essentially, you know, a Hong Kong tape sort of version of Face Off. Um, and I think I, that, that was the main inspiration behind the film because uh, they were, you know, still looking at what John Woo was doing and everything like that. But they looked at Face Off and then they actually dialed it down. Whereas you'd, you'd usually assume Hong Kong cinema, especially in the 80s or 90s, would <laughs> dial it up. And it's John Woo. So they looked at, they, you know, essentially took the plot of Face Off and then mm. dialed it way back down, which, which is interesting because that's, that's the other thing. I mean, as you were just saying there, it's, it's, it's a very efficient film in its storytelling. And John Woo, it, it's got, you can imagine if John Woo directed it, there'd be so much more close ups or crying or backstory flashbacks and everything like that, and so much. But it dispenses with all that stuff. Uh, much more, much more efficient, much, much more, in a way, kind of more similar to some of the Milky Way stuff uh, before Johnny Toe really sort of got convinced he was making operas. And it's, <laughs> but that's what, that's what I, yeah, the, the efficiency is what, another thing that's really struck me when I, when I watched it again, even though it has all these elements of other films, whether it's Face Off, whether it's, there's so much, that the mirroring thing is just so much all the way through it. It's just, mm. but they don't go down the full John Woo route and everything with it. And, you know, there's so much you'll read into it about the handover and the confusion of identity of Hong Kong and stuff like that. But even that, they don't, they don't, everything about it to an extent is slightly muted. Um, and you were saying like with these first action scenes, they're not really action scenes. It's just like a lot of, you say, tapping or is someone going to get found out? It's not action in the same sense of action. Yeah, so it's, it's a lot of suspense. It's a lot yeah, of, it's, it's a, a thriller, but not in yeah. the Hong Kong way. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was, I mean, you're also looking back, I mean, particularly with the first film, there is, there is as was actually quite prevalent at the time with the, with some of the horror and so on that was coming out from, from you know, there, there was a very much an eye on trying to sell this to the West to have something that that could be an international success rather than just in Hong Kong. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And, uh, and maybe as well a sense of the timing as well, that at this point in the early 2000s, that that the, they, the, the, the Hong Kong filmmakers, you know, that the, the industry was, yeah, you know, kind of falling apart somewhat. And that international look was looking at the West mm -hmm. before the, the mainland market really opened up. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, the mainland market really didn't do anything for, for Hong Kong. <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for, yeah. for anyone. But this, but uh, yeah, if, if more films had gone down this line, I think, you know, it would be interesting. And, and again, we can kind of come back to this in terms of the legacy mm. and influence of this. But, you know, it does feel like the, the, there was something in it quite interesting here, the way that this was that that this was moving and and the way that this was kind of taking all these things on board and and I think and getting this nice balance between something that is that is quite accessible to to more western viewers but actually is still very very chinese very hong kong in the way that it deals with this you know the whole kind of yang gang brotherhood kind of mm. themes that we that the john Wu did so well but just doing it in a again in quite a toned down way that that could have could have gone in quite a different different direction i think for what for what came next i mean yeah it, it's incredibly talky right 
Mm. Yeah. The, 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 the scene from the first film I remember the most, uh, sort of Anthony Wong and, and Eric Chang talking to each other over a Chinese meal. This isn't John Woo, kinetic, bullets, doves, explosions. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't feel like what most people would have considered a Hong Kong police thriller to be like at all yeah it's yeah. it's a lot of people talking there's a lot of you know like you said there's a lot of exposition set up at the beginning which interestingly mm. sets up the second film you know mm. it, it's, it's there already yeah. um but i i don't remember too much of the action i remember the suspense but i remember the conversations yeah. the talking the looks that and it's even then it's not even tied into language and there's lots of looks as that duality and mirror that yin and yang stuff that james has already mm-hmm. talked about it's it's embedded through this film and it looks great it oh, looked yeah. great before a 4k restoration you know <laughs> it, it it's and i like 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 James, I didn't see the um, when I did a review of the film that should not be named, the third one. <laughs> I, I I just I just chucked on my already existing Blu-ray that I had of it, um, mm. and it looks great. It looks off the time. Lots yeah. of films yeah. in the early two thousands looked like that. The blues are dialed up and and, yeah. and, and yeah. all that sort of cold cold framing sort of stuff going on. But it didn't. It doesn't look. It doesn't look like a film from maybe five years before either. And I think it's got that. More mm. generic appeal to it. So absolutely, all the themes, very Chinese, very Hong Kong, but it doesn't look like a Hong Kong film. Yeah, seeing it for the first time as well, and it was one thing I wasn't ready for. Um, and this is, a, this is a spoiler, but yeah, again, you will really know this. It's the, it's the scene um, uh, when Anthony Wong <laughs> flies out of a building and lands on a taxi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That I, mean, was... I remember. I remember that being really quite, really quite gripping at the time. You know, really quite astounding at the time. You kind of, you knew it wasn't going to go well for him, but still, the way it kind of played that out, I thought was, you know, just, just, just really quite. You know, just it's, it's the bagpipe yeah. music <laughs> when they start <laughs> overlaying some of the bag, the, the soulful tunes of the. Of the well-played bagpipes, uh, which doesn't... There's some, there some bizarre... I mean, it's kind of stepping to this, and I, I won't let this become too much of an attraction. There's some, mm. there's some interesting musical choices. There are. The first couple yeah. of films have some quite, almost kind of Middle Eastern kind of... Uh, which I guess was a kind of a bit of a thing in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. But the, 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 um, you have got the bagpipes, uh, particularly sort of the, the um, burial scenes. Mm. I think in... I mean, we could come back to this, but in the third film, another kind of really strange bit is the man and Chinese character played by Chen Domen yeah. is is playing uh, Old Lang Syne on a harmonica. It's yeah, that, it's just <laughs> I mean that is ba- it's baffling that the Old Lang Syne. I mean Lang that's Zine that's is. that's that is pure Hong Kong. I think that's where you really know you're watching a Hong Kong film. Um, yeah, if you get something kind of like kind of very. Sweet little things, and of course we're going to keep on the music thing. Of course, the original film does have does end with a, a duet between Andy Lau and Tony Lau. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which right. was was quite surprising to see old Tony uh, wax the uh, <laughs> the uh, vocals there. Uh, and there's that there's that Taiwanese song which just recurs all the way through them. Whose, whose name I uh, I forget. Yes. You know when they're te- whenever they're testing their mad stereos and that. Yes. So it the music definitely it, it definitely plays a part. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember it perfectly. I just don't I don't know the name of it or who sang it, and it's probably something really famous. But <laughs> there you go. It's probably some Teresa Toe or something, isn't it? That we should all know. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But, uh, the song is actually "Forgotten Times" 
by Taiwanese pop and folk singer Tai Chen. But no, I think that's something you can see when you're talking about having Anthony Wong in there everything as well. I mean, you have quite a few of these. You've said before, like, you know, Sammy Chang and Kelly Chen having these tiny roles in the film, which a lot of people really didn't expect when it first came out. And like Anthony Wong was still known as the Category 3 man at that stage as well. So him playing this and then Eric Tsang playing a... Well, it's a serious role. He still gets a few wacky lines in there and stuff. So, mm. so you know, Andy Lau being re- role reversal. So many of the, the, you know, when they were writing at Felix Chong and his name, they, you know, that's where they would have put most of their effort. And it's actually reversing expectations. So for a lot of Hong Kong audiences, especially, I mean, that was, that was one of the other things about it. It was, it was so many people in it were actually playing against type or against expectations. So, which is, you know, when you look back at it now and everything, actors like Anthony Wong has gone on to do, you know, so much other kind of stuff. It's not quite as big a thing, but at the time, you know, he was still like Mr. Untold Story, Ebola Syndrome, uh, everything like that. But he hadn't been in Beast Cops. Yeah, he'd but, been in Beast Cops. Uh, yeah, but, still, but, but, but he was still, it was, it was getting, but it was very different. He goes on a rampage. <laughs> that's true um, and that yeah I mean we can come on to that in a bit but also that's carried on definitely into the the, the second film of the trilogy yeah. as well yeah. <laughs> So the second film, we we have the that is actually a prequel. Mm. So we get to see how they came to be. Um, and kind of looking back, actually, because I did, I mean, I kind of recently watching through the films. One thing, I mean, there's a couple of things. One thing that's really obvious is how much they really do try and make this um, quite Godfather. Um, mm. And I remember, you know, back in the times, so there were a lot of comparisons to the Godfather trilogy. Yeah. Well, I was mainly kind of Godfather trilogy, um, and. You know, and I think we could go. You know, to a certain extent, we could kind of agree that that, that, that in some ways, this is something in common with that. In that part two, in some ways, is better than part one. Um, but if you want to kind of carry that 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 comparison on, however bad you think the Godfather part three is, it's not as bad as. <laughs> but we'll come on to that in a bit. Mm. But I mean, I mean, the, the, but in order to create that kind of, we're looking back, I did kind of re- realize that it really did retcon a few of the bits that that of of the first film so yes it did whereas whereas the um so we, yeah we have you know let's talk about the cast because we have um sean yu playing the tony young character and edison chen playing um yeah andy lao character you know and, and it's it's a, it's a kind of further what what steven said earlier that, that was really nice is you have them already in the first film. You ha- yeah, they yeah. are there. Um, but yes, so the the suddenly the Tony Young character who who uh, Sonia character who in the first film is said oh well he kind of he he deliberately leaves because he's a very talented cop and they want somebody really talented in the other one underworld. Suddenly it introduces this whole family thing yeah. that he is actually connected to the big 
triad um, uh, related to the Nyes, um, who are led by Francis Ng, who is... Again, we always talk about people playing against type, and yeah. you know, and his performance in in this is absolutely astounding. Um, yeah. Very, very, just kind of. I mean, he can, he can do it well, but he is so good at like playing either massively over the top or massively mm. under, and really. But yeah, suddenly it's a whole family thing. Suddenly that that he's connected to the family, and that's why he gets kicked out of the police, but still wants to be this mm. this good person. Um, so I mean that that was one thing that kind of looking back I was like oh yeah you kind of essentially kind of retconned what 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 happened in the I'm yeah, I'm alright uh, I'm alright with that you know yeah. some some retcons are dreadful and mm. some retcons you think all right this gives us somewhere I mean to in go. a sense they can kind of get away with it going by almost kind of suggesting they didn't go into that much detail indeed because it's just in that little section <laughs> at the beginning right but mm. you know to, to you know if you're gonna the nice thing about this is it isn't a repeat of what yeah. went before, yeah? It's, yeah? it's it's enhancing the story, it's got a new story. I mean, I guess it's still about some it crime is, lord taking over from yeah. another, yeah. But that but that, that kind of cycle and repetition, that's, that's again, that's... Uh, that's there's, a, there's some really nice parts about that. I mean, in a certain sense, whether this is better or, or not than the first film, you do need the first film for a lot of the things that work about in Final Fantasy II to work right from the very beginning there's this great chat that you see you know, Anthony Wong is talking to someone about this terrible incident that happened on his first day on the job as a policeman and then all of a sudden you realise he's talking to Sam who yeah. is the Eric Chan character the, the, the arch rival you know and you, you see that there's this weird relationship between the two and, and that the, the, the Anthony Wong character who usefully is called um, Inspector Wong in the, in the <laughs> um, it's, he's kind of being quite Machiavellian and, and actually most of the time he's, these Machiavellian kind of um, plans that he has don't actually work out particularly well but he is I mean it's such a great scene to start but you know you suddenly you know that it has that little reveal as well that, that you know the way that's that's played out is and and of course great. echoing similar scene from the first film there's a, mm, there's, a, yeah. there's a there's a fair bit of that going mm. on in the second so it, you know like i say it, it a lot of sequels just redo the first or even prequels or even in, in absolutely yeah. whereas yeah. this mm. this kind of does but it just builds on what was before you know whether people think it's a better or worse i mean i i personally think it's superior in many aspects as a as a story it's far more interesting it maybe doesn't have that uniqueness that maybe the first film mm. had with you know we've, I think what we've this gains there. in a sense what this gains is, is that it actually doesn't need to do all the setting up so we get straight into the the, the, the pacing of this and, and the pacing feels absolutely perfect it doesn't have that kind of rushed exposition because it you know, if you'll come to this film and you haven't seen Infernal Affairs, <laughs> well, uh, you know, then, then forget yeah. it. <laughs> no, you're going to get. And, it I, and I like that. I mean, what well, you know, that's that's the whole point. Um, I mean, you know, in this one, I think you can say that that unlike, again, coming back to kind of the usual thing for sort of gangster films, you do have um, you do have an amazing performance by Karina Lau 
Tony yeah. Young's better half. You know, it's, it's mm. it, you know she's she's a really great character, and it's interesting the way it sets up um, the Andy Lau's character and and how he ends up with another woman called Mary as well. It's all these kind of little. <laughs> Oh, sorry. That, I mean, it's I. I still I do like the second one a lot. I prefer the first one just because there's so much of that stuff in the second one. You know, so mm. and it does. I, I guess that all these coincidences in it and everything yeah. that tie into this overall. You could say it ties into the overall idea of fate, or you could say it ties into them. You know, the the producers knowing that you know to make the second one a big hit, they had to tie back to the first one as much as possible. Um, I don't know. I still I still like it a lot, but I think it lays it on a bit thick with some of the some of the callbacks and some of the stuff and everything like that, you know, and it's, it is, you know, as a prequel, I mean, most prequels are terrible, so it is like that. But then again, I prefer The Godfather to The Godfather too. so I don't, <laughs> it's a, it may, I think that's just my, part of it's my natural inclination away from prequels, but I I, I do love the efficiency of the first one, and this one, yeah, it, you know, it, it, it is, is a bit longer. It's longer, it's definitely more. two hours. Yeah, and it's much more convoluted. Not quite in a bad way. It's the third. We'll talk about the third. But the third one is when it really tips into convoluted <laughs> nonsense. But there's some parts of this which threaten to do that, you know. Mm. And, and it gets a bit more soap opera in places too. It does. It does. Which but is, you but I still like you it. I still like it though. It's good. Yeah. You couldn't watch this one first, though, could no, you? No, no, exactly, no. It, it exactly. would be, it would be. You'd, you'd miss the, yeah, you'd miss the point. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if somebody did to get their take on it. To be fair, uh, <laughs> without, without, yeah, somebody was kind of like, "What order should I watch these in?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just need to trick somebody. <laughs> uh, we just need to find somebody who hasn't watched the Infernal Affairs series and just who actually cares enough your, to watch oh, these. Yeah. No, yeah. she's seen them. And she's seen them all <laughs> yeah. anyway. And, um, but. I mean, and again, I mean, you've got some, as well as Francis Ng, and you've got some interesting additions to the cast. You've got Roy Chiang, who um, uh, was always playing sort of gangsters and gangster yeah. sides. And he kind of, there was a point where he was in quite a few films, like Wild Search and stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of always with nice long hair, they're kind of being... Um, and he is both playing two type and against type, which you know, without giving too much of a spoiler on this one. But it, it was great to see him in a film again because it had been a um, uh, he hadn't seemed to have been a lot of stuff at that by that point. Um, mm. You got some random stuff like um, uh, Teddy Chen, the director Teddy Chen, who turns up in a bit of a bit part in here, and so several other kind of. Production side, sort of all older actors kind of turning up. You've There's got loads. a very young, loads of them yeah. You, you've got Carhoy in here. Carhoy yes. plays yeah, yeah, that's right. as well as as Francis as wife. Um, you've got a very unfortunate appearance by a certain um, British person who we, we shouldn't even say the name of now, but yeah. was well known for his audio commentaries back in the day. Quite <laughs> well known for many things. Um, yes, and then we're not going to get into other other aspects. Um, but I mean, again, you, you yeah. do, it's still packing, packing it with lots of. It is packed. It's packed as the word. Yeah, packed. It's too. It's a bit. That's what I mean. I think it's a little bit too packed. You're right. This is completely long line of cameos and stuff. But that's that's always the way Hong Kong cinema was before. Like when the first film in yeah. any of these Mad yeah. series was really popular. Um, even if it was already an ensemble piece, which kind of the first one is still. But then, as soon as you got to the second one, the third one, you would get more and more people. Just having tiny cameo roles or playing, you know, turning up in them and everything, and so, you always have this you know. thing of, I mean, even even now you have the the sort of the titling on on the you know is guest star, 
Yeah, you know, that's is right. How it's yeah. how it's you know, and you still get it, and you and you kind of think, oh, okay, are they not? I mean, this is just a film, so why are they guest starring in it? Yeah, and just for a few seconds, which is it's fine. I think it it just makes it all, uh, you know. And I don't like being negative about it because I do like the film a lot, but it is a little bit overstuffed. You know, I could say that. That's probably the nicest way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, but but still, but still strong. Very, 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 very watchable. Great performances. From, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen it a few. I mean, times. I, I think particularly. I mean, Shonya is good. I think Edison Chen really channels the way that Andy Lau plays the character that seems kind of a bit weirdly earnest, almost a bit on the spectrum. Everything's very serious with him. Um, you know, whereas Tony Young, who's having a really shit time uh, being a, a, you know, having to, to pretend being a, a, a gangster for all this time, mm. is always kind of all quite smiley and, you know, looking quite, quite happy. You know, he's... Very re and and Edison Chen really does channel and do a really good performance as, so, as Andy Lau. And the, um, talking, you know, talking of people who maybe we shouldn't mention some of their behaviour. This is a pre-scandal <laughs> Edison Chen, right? And yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it doesn't hurt that he does look a bit like Andy Lau, right? Yeah, um, yeah. you know, yeah. not not you know, you you would you wouldn't confuse them for each other, but he has that kind of similar look in terms of eyes and face shape and things like that. Mm. And actually he's really good in this. And I wouldn't yeah. say that about a lot of his performances. Um yeah. you know, I don't think he's one of the top tier. But again there's a generational thing getting going here with Sean Yu as well, right? Um who who, you know, they yeah. are the you've got the Tony Lung and Andy Lau are from the previous generation mm. you and Chen are are part of a, a sort of a second generation that are gonna. So it's a bit bizarre that it's a prequel that stars the second generation, but you know mm. you, you get where I'm coming from. But yeah, yeah I thought yeah, Chen, yeah. Chen is excellent in this, yes, um, I which I really yeah. couldn't say about ninety percent of his other performances. <laughs> I guess yeah, we'll never know with him. I guess because after you know after the scandal thing and everything, you know, we're showing showing you like a lot of his early stuff. He was just another sort of pretty boy choice mm. in them and stuff. But he actually became a, a pretty good actor and stuff. Made a lot of mm. interesting career choices through Absolutely. the through the 2000s. So with that, with old Chen, I, I yeah, obviously he didn't have, you know, his opportunities disappeared very very quickly as a result. And so I I don't know. You're right. I mean, he's very good in this, and it would have suggested that you know he might have had more you know more acting ability in there compared to some of the stuff he'd done early on where he wasn't really required to do a great deal you know and but no he's very good in this one. he's very poppy dog in this one always mm. following what's her name around and with his mouth slightly open <laughs> <laughs> Infernal Affairs 2 definitely worth watching um, and then shall we get on to Infernal yeah. Affairs 3 yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the WTF Entry in the oh. in the trilogy. I guess I mean it's probably worth mentioning that um, they did move fast on these sequels. Yeah. Which, I, which we know isn't isn't at all uncommon for Hong Kong. But, yeah. You know, so the first film came out in December two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. Infernal Affairs two came out in October two thousand and three, and then actually on the anniversary of the first film, Infernal Affairs three turned up. Um, all was it two hours twenty minutes or however long it is? It's it's a very long. It's it's not actually that long though. It's just it just feels Isn't like it. it. No, oh, I, it, I, sure? there's two there's two versions of it. Remember, um, one of them is only about an hour and forty five, and the other one's about two hours or just under two hours. Oh, 
So well, that might be that be my fault for. Um, I'm not sure if both versions are on the on the disc, but um, <laughs> I mean they're not. The they're <laughs> not. No, no, no. They're not better. I mean, neither of them's better than the other because they're both. No. <laughs> so I would, if you That's haven't seen, James. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think you should care which version you've seen. To be honest, I, I have seen them both, and the second, the other director's cut is just longer. That's all you can say, mm. and it's a bad thing in this case because it, it still got it still has all the multiple multiple problems. The slightly shorter version, you know. So okay, so I mean, you'll say the two hours. I想做黑社會。我想做好人。你認不認得我? And I mean, do we want to try? Can we try and sum up what the 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 plot line is for? Oh, Steve, Stephen will do that. Okay. <laughs> well, you've you reviewed it. Yeah, latest, yeah, exactly. So. You've seen it recently, so it must be fresh yeah, in your mind. Obviously, <laughs> I've um, and I've written a review up, haven't I, for uh, yeah, so for the site. Okay, so it, it kind of exists <laughs> in in broadly in two timelines, right? Mm. So one of them. One of the timelines, and they intercut with each other, which really doesn't help because you never know you never know where you are, especially as one character I'll talk about in a minute appears in both timelines and looks exactly the same. And it's not that far apart. So one is one is a bit like a here's here's a whole set of um, scenes from the first film which we didn't show you, mm. which is more stories about um uh Tony Lung's character. Yeah. And 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 just putting a bit more stuff utterly unnecessary stuff in place <laughs> to 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 fill in it doesn't even fill in any holes what it does it serves to show it serves to introduce two characters into the second half of the film which yeah. didn't need to play any part well one of the characters is unnecessary mm -hmm. um the chinese yeah. undercover i can't remember the guy's name the the actor but Chen Ming. Chen Ming, yeah. i have no idea what yeah. the point of him was Nope. Other than to get a mainland actor in it, which yeah, well, I think there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with him. So he's playing yet another undercover cop, but he's a mainland Chinese undercover cop and turns yeah. up in the denouement of the second phase. The other mm. thing is is to bring Leon Lay's character in as mm. a is he or isn't he also a mole or is he a genuine mm. infer internal affairs agent. And nothing really happens in this whole section, although it's interlaced throughout the rest of the film, that, that just says, hey, look, Leon Lay was there as well. And does raise an important point. The only bit that I got out of it is that he recognises Tony Lung's character yeah. from the Academy. And you do okay. think, 
Yeah, why didn't the other two hundred people recognise him or any of his? I, I, it may be addressed in the previous in the previous film a little bit. In the previous films a little bit, but it does it does kind of undercut the whole point that Lung's character is trapped once Anthony mm-hmm. Wong's killed in the first film. Yeah, um, mm. because there are a lot of other people who would have recognised him as well. Um, and then we have the second storyline follows on from the first film, and Andy Lau's character. Yeah. Um, now knows that not only is he a mole, but there's another four or five moles in the oh, in the yeah, police force yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he goes down this trying to find all the other moles route. Uh, well, all the while, his his career goes down the drain and his mental health goes down the drain, and it's all horribly generic mental health kind of issues. He's seeing hallucinations. He thinks he's turning into Tony Lung's character. Um, and it all is... Yeah, and, and it has... You know, I'm going to do spoilers. It has the world's most pathetic suicide attempt, which thematically I know what they're trying to do. That It's all about this continuous hell which you talked about at the mm. beginning Andrew right it's and, about and they him. really are giving us continuous hell with yeah it, and it's, <laughs> it's just it's just confusing and unnecessary and mm. I will also add if you'd seen that if you were mainland Chinese or Singaporean you wouldn't know what the fuck was going on because yeah. obviously yeah, the first film ends differently about, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because what we didn't bring up talking about the first yeah. film is the the alternative ending that was made for um, for the for mainland China because Criminals aren't allowed to get away with, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah that, I, I have no idea how people would have handled the, the third one or anything like that after that. So, I mean, it's... I mean, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's I, it is a... It is, it, but it is. I, I, there isn't any point to it. They really... No. I mean, they do... They do deliberately do the confusion thing between the timelines as well, which is is, is just a pain in the arse. It is. It's yeah. annoying. It, it, absolutely. It, it's not even. It's it doesn't even done. serve a, a purpose, though. It, it's not even. It doesn't really come to some great point about it. Um, it's just. It's, yeah, there's annoying. occasional moments where there's some thematic similarity, I think, mm. but but all it, but it doesn't work for me. It just no. confuses, yeah. Yeah. and the film adds the the, the great tragedy of the film is it still looks as good as the other two mm. it's still got yeah. all yeah. the stars are in it which yeah. does make you and, 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 yeah, just, to, just, <laughs> just to add to that before you go on there you know it is nice to see Waze Lee who again no, was another right. person from the, from the 80s and 90s who's kind yeah, of fallen yeah. you only see him for a few seconds though but yeah but, but you know from a bullet in the head and mm-hmm. some other films you know it was nice to see him talk, crop up for a little while yeah, yeah go on Stephen <laughs> yeah I mean you've got you know it gets you another chance to see Anthony Wong's character gives you another chance to see oh, Tan's character yeah. it gives you all that and everyone's having a nice payday, I'm sure, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what it feels like. It feels yeah. like a cash-in. But you're right. It was yeah. very, you know, followed on very quickly from the yeah. second sequel in terms of its release in Hong Kong. So I assume they were filmed at the same time or something. Oh, I just... Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 they must have been shooting a lot of this or stuff back. outtakes. Like I imagine yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of outtakes and then used footage. And but, I, I, you know, I, I, know. I have... Maybe so. I have no desire to see a... Re-edited version, which inserts that stuff into the first film, though it's just, no, it's just, yeah, it's just yeah. fundamentally, it's, it's unnecessary. Not. And if you get the box set, it's, you it's, get a free coaster, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can't condone that for um, Criterion if they're listening. But I mean, it, it's 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 almost as unnecessary as The Departed. But we'll come on to that in that. Oh, I mean, maybe God. we kind of move on to that now. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, the, the kind of the 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 legacy and the influence of of infernal affairs. I think you know we had. I think you know what 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 happened next. I think there was a lot of films that tried to emulate this. I mean, let's start with the, the creative team, which, which you know, for a while you do have Andrew Lau, Alan Mack and Felix Chong, mm. you know, building on the success of Infernal Affairs. Mm-hmm. They made the obvious choice, and, and the next film they do is, of course, Initial D. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Hong Kong's very own mm. uh, Japanese manga, uh, slightly racist, uh, inspired. Yes. Fast and Inspired, um, Don't they drag Anthony yeah. Wong along for that as they well? They do, they do. Yeah, yeah that, that's, and it's that was one, of, and that was one of those films, one of the first films I can remember, like really being excited and let down completely by something because it's it has the same look as Infernal Affairs. It looks like it's going to be slick, and you think it's going to be cool. Then you watch it, and it's just stupid. You know, but not even in a sort of like a fun, stupid way. Nothing. It's one of those films where just nothing about it works. Not not in a sort of Infernal Affairs makes me angry kind of way, but it's just. It's just dull, Infernal, uh, in, Infernal D, Initial D. You know, there's, there's just one of those films where I remember actually, I got the DVD from it, uh, for it, because it came out very yeah. quickly after the Hong Kong release. Got it, put it on my, watched it, and oh, okay, well, that wasn't great. You know. But it definitely we it got, did that same yeah. sort of slickness it was going for, though. It did, it did. And then we got um, Confession of Pain. <laughs> I'd forgotten about Takeshi that. Kino, Kino. <laughs> Great drunk which acting. Big, Great drunk which acting was, in that which film. Which was trying, to, was trying to go back to that. Perhaps someone said, why are you doing um, a car driving thing? Yeah. And then they kind of split off again, don't they? I mean, so if it, uh, Mac and Chong become quite a... They, they start they overheard that's the overheard yeah, series yeah, right. yes yes um, and you've got some other films in there like The Lost Bladesman Silent War with Tony Young again um, War, kind Jesus. of ends up kind of petering out a bit and then they kind of they, they the, the Alan Mack and Phoenix Strong split up and Phoenix Strong is still doing some very similar things I think again with um, Project Gutenberg or Whatever right. It's, yes. Uh, counterfeit or whatever. Still it's, never seen. Still not seen that because it's so long. And I'm sure it's very. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Um. And and I I'm still annoyed at the um, uh, UK premiere that I got invited <laughs> to. But it was uh, free for all with the <laughs> seats, right. and my wife and I decided not to go to it. I'd have walked out um, as well. I'd have walked out as well. And I, and so never. I'd still actually never got around to watching it, even though I'm. Oh yeah. Chang and Fat. I mean, what's that kind of sh- it does shame us a bit that that we haven't seen it. It does. It does really. It really mm. does. You know. Um. And it, I guess from from kind of very kind of directly kind of career of Andrew Lau, mm. it's it's kind of interesting. He does try and get. He's he is still very much trying to get into different markets. You've yes. got Daisy, which is a South Korean mm. film um, from two thousand and six. A little bit later, on, well, quite a bit later on, you've got Revenge of the Green Dragons, which is a US yeah. production. Yeah. Um, and then there's still time doing other films like The Guillotines and. Mm. Hey, master he and then co-director Wong Jing in Vegas to Macau 3. I mean, his <laughs> must be the highlight of his life. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I, probably the less said about his kind of more recent <laughs> efforts yeah, with like, yeah. Chinese doctors and so on, probably the best. Oh, that's right. He did The Captain, didn't he? The airline one. Yeah. Which uh, I'm glad to say I haven't seen that or Chinese doctors. Um, 
No, that yeah, it seems that's where his career is now. Uh, fair yeah. play, fair play, I guess. But mm. but it's but he, you know, from that perspective, it is interesting. He tried and then yeah. failed, and then kind True. Of hasn't hasn't bothered. Here's Philip O'Connor. So the Infernal Affairs trilogy. I've known about this movie f- series since it probably came out over twenty years ago, and I watch it whenever I can. Recently, the Criterion release got me thinking about it. And I just had a couple of thoughts about the the series. Mainly, it has to do with the Buddhist concept of hell that permeates the fabric of the, the series. Uh, it's to do with a quote near the end of the movie, I believe it's the first one, um, where they talk about the idea of continuous hell, you know, the, the, like the, the bottommost layer of hell, that, that to be alive while this happens is hell and and this happens to primarily at the start of the trilogy um when we we open the the show um we have uh chan played by tony lung um who is a a police officer who who becomes a gangster and for chan it's the idea that he he wants to be a good officer so he he follows his commanding officer Wong, who's played by Anthony Wong. Um, he follows his advice and says, "Oh, you know, well, if you pretend to drop out, you'll become uh, more amenable to gangsters." Oh, he was a cop at one point; we can use him. And he thinks that he's going to be in this temporary hell for maybe a couple of years, and a decade goes by, and while. Infernal Affairs 2 kind of fleshes out the younger version of him as to how he ended up in the place that he is at the beginning of the first movie. The first movie pretty much sells the entire idea that Chan is the one trapped. Chan spends most of the film trying to get out, either figuratively or literally, and it is the juxtaposition of his plight and then the plight of Lau, played by Andy Lau, who is a criminal who is planted in the police organization by Sam, who's played by Eric Sang, and the film itself spends a lot of the time on Chan's side of of the argument, because for lack of a description, Lau is not the hero, and he isn't going to be the hero in the first movie. Chan is, and the problem with Chan is that he has spent so long as, as a criminal, he doesn't remember how to be a cop anymore. Now that's not to say that he goes off and, you know, starts doing criminal activities just for the sheer hell of it, but he no longer remembers what it feels like to be a normal person, to not have to constantly look over your shoulder, to worry about who has your back, who doesn't have your back, who's ratting you out, who is trying to, you know, step on your neck to get further up the totem pole. Um, and and it sells the idea of this this idea of continuous hell, this 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 perpetual vice that that Chan finds himself in and as the film goes on we see the pressure heaping upon him uh, we see him being interviewed by uh, Lee played by Kelly Chen a psychologist who tries to help him to try and pull him back from the edge so to speak the problem with it is is that this collision course that he's on with Lau means that no matter how much pressure is taken off him the minute he leaves the, the psychologist's office it's there waiting for him hovering like a dark cloud and ultimately the film resolves 
Chan's problem by simply eliminating Chan. You know, um, he's spectacularly killed at the end of of the film, much to the shock of anyone who who watched the film initially um, on on discovering the, the trilogy either back in the day or recently, Criterion's release. You just you're shocked by it because we we've been conditioned and and poked and prodded by cinema to expect that the the hero doesn't die at the end of the movie the, the hero's reward is to you know be found out and you know oh you cracked the case and everything's fine but remember that's a western concept primarily it does happen in other cultures but it's primarily a western um, concept or specifically it's it's hollywood concept where the hero will always come out right in the end and even if he doesn't he goes down in a blaze of glory that saves the universe and all is right. And at the end of Infernal Affairs 1, not only is thing, are things not right, but that things are worse than ever before because now Sam now has his hooks directly into Lau. And I will get to Lau in a second. At the end of the movie, Chan is killed and while Sam doesn't survive the end of the movie because he's killed by Lau and, and, and Lau's attempt to clean up all of the loose threads that link him back to his criminality. The damage is done. Sam has infected Lau now with the same problem that uh, afflicted Chan at the start of the movie. This crushing weight that he cannot escape from, that he can never get away from. Turning to Lau, Lau is the, the other end of that scale. If, if Chan's release from this continuous hell is to be killed, and, you know, thereby is taken away from the pressure of the problem. Lao is the idea of a man makes his own personal hell by himself. He doesn't have to have hell foisted upon him like it was with Chan. He can make it for himself. And Lao does this to himself because near the end of the first film, right, Chan and Lao have this equalization moment where Sam is killed, Lao is... Uh, off the hook and Chan is, uh, has his identity protected and he doesn't have to worry about it and there's this equalizing moment where both of them for the briefest of moments can switch Lau can go on to become a good cop and can leave his criminal past behind and Chan can retire from the police force having done his job but then you know, the way the film plays out that's not what happens and ultimately Chan is killed as a direct result of, of the events of the final act of the film. But it is in that act that Lau becomes the man-made hell. And he becomes the man-made hell because, quite literally, the fact that Chan is killed has doomed Lau into this perpetual hell where he will always look over his shoulder, he will never have a moment's peace, he will never be able to escape from the past that he had. He will always worry that someone will blow his cover. And the problem for it is, is that it is ultimately self-defeating. Eventually, the, the sins that he has heaped upon himself to get where he is come back to haunt him. And ultimately, that was left a broken man as a result of the events of the, of the third film. I find that the series also does an excellent job of promoting the idea that while the main two characters are in their own personal hells, Chan at the start of the trilogy, Lau at the end of the trilogy, 
the other characters, as I said, Lee, the psychologist, Sam, Lau's criminal boss, Wong, uh, Chan's uh, superintendent, and his father figure. It's the thing about father figures is that you know the sins of the father are visited upon the son. And in the case of Wong, Wong starts off by asking Chan to go undercover, and it's done with the best of intentions. But the longer that Wong keeps Chan in there, the worse it becomes. And like a father who who realizes that his son is on a self-destructive path, Wong wants to help him, but at the same time. If he pulls him out too soon or too early, all their work will be for nothing. But ultimately, in both cases, both Wong and Sam pay the price for their sins. In the case of Sam, Sam has multiple moles, but it is Lau, the smartest, slickest, brightest of his lieutenants. It's the one that comes back to haunt him the most, and it's the one that kills him in the end. And I find, I find the series is a as a whole no one gets out of life alive and in the case of the cast of infernal affairs no one does um lao's wife is left bereft because she doesn't she doesn't know anything about lao's alter ego as a as a criminal she knows nothing about him. she only knew him as a cop and and she's left bereft because of all of the bodies that have been stacked up at lao's doorstep lao is now paying the price for and on the other side of it, you know, Chan had a life and, and, a, and a partner before all this, and that was all just blown to hell. On top of that, like every single person, both in the criminal organization and the cops, who were destroyed as a result of the mayhem caused by both Chan and Lau's exit stage left. Nobody comes out of this unscathed, and I think that that is the... I think that's the thing that I take away the most from Infernal Affairs. Not the... Not the subterfuge, not the, the amazingly simplistic and yet brilliant concept of what if a cop and a criminal swapped places and no one knew. More than any of that, more than the, the direction by the directors Andrew Lau and Alan Mack, it's the idea that people just get crushed by the situation they find themselves in. And while for us at the audience, it's absolute manna from heaven to watch these actors go through the motions and watch their their hellish torment in in reality we would never be able to survive such a concept we'd never be able to, to make it out of there in one piece and ultimately the movie is realistic so i know ultimately the movies are realistic in that even the people who get away without with their lives are ultimately destroyed by it and this this a cycle of, of death and rebirth, of, of punishment and, and reward. It's just soaked into the fabric of the trilogy and no one is able to get out of the trilogy untainted by the actions of two men in two closed off dark rooms in two separate buildings making separate plans. It's just amazing to, to see this in action and I think that that's the thing I think I take away the most from Infernal Affairs this the, the smallest of actions this tiniest of decisions have massive repercussions and it's never been done so well in, in Hong Kong cinema I think and in general in, in cinema in, in its totality of uh, this, this this tiny decision I mean when we talk about crime thrillers like like say the Godfather trilogy we, we, we look at them as a, as a whole as a conglomeration of of the entire threads of the story but 
Infernal Affairs would not have happened were it not for Sam and Wong making that decision to send one of their own people into the other guy's organization. And it's that that, like, you get three separate films, and yes, we can argue about the merits of the first and second and third movies and whether or not the second movie is better than the third or whether the third movie is really necessary at all. We could have just skipped part two. It, it doesn't matter about that. That's a story for another day. It's a discussion for another day, which I believe the gentleman you are listening to on the other end of this piece that I'm doing or talking about right now. And I think that's the impressive thing I love the most about Infernal Affairs. It's the thing that keeps me coming back to the series year on year. I, I, I always try and show it to people. Even people who've seen The Departed, the Martin Scorsese remake with uh, Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio, I always tell them to go and watch Infernal Affairs because it does a much better job of showing you what true sin and what the wages of that is in relative terms to a character's fate. So with that, I would just say simply say to you that Infernal Affairs is one of those trilogies that pays out the more you watch it. You sit there and you, you think about the what-ifs and if the character had done this or said that or gone here. And it's one of those wonderful things that no matter which decision you think the character should have made, ultimately you realize that the characters end up exactly where they're supposed to. They know that they're on this, this road to damnation and yet they're quite not so much resigned knowledgeable in that they knew going in that this is a possibility and this could happen and now it has happened for them and we are bearing witness to this this destruction of the soul and this adulation of the of the sin the big the big legacy was of course the the departed mm. um uh with the most pointless Oscar ever given, perhaps. Yes, yes. Yeah, this is only one, isn't it? Or but not exactly. Was his first yeah, one the, or his the, only one? Is, Either way. Yeah. Jeez, man, I'm not a Scorsese fan anyway, but to give him it for... I, the other stuff I can appreciate, and even if I don't like it, that's, giving him it for that is just mm, odd. You know? I mean, I did watch it once just to see what, what it was like. But I, if I want to watch it again, yeah. then... I will watch Infernal Affairs again. I'm not. Yeah, and I think too. I think not... that's the problem with it, isn't it? Is that it's very well made. Again, it's more stargazing, right? You get yeah, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. Well, you get Marky Mark as well, I suppose. Mm. You know, although he has done a couple not... of good things, this isn't one of them. No funky bunch stuff. There's no funky bunch. No what's the point? Yeah, you know, oh. it's no boogie nights, right? Um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not even. It's not the happening. That's his best. In... <laughs> Right. He has a conversation with a plastic, <laughs> a conversation with a plastic plant. <laughs> Indeed, you get a Jack Nicholson cameo that overwhelms oh, everything else. Yeah, as he always. Eats, he, well, which, he, is, which is happens. He that, just that, that to devour everyone in the film. Yeah. Every time he's in there, he just looks like a he's going to bite people. And that's the, it's that era of Jack oh. Nicholson, isn't it? Where where that's what he does. It's it's fine. It's moved to Boston, I think, and so they, right. and, yeah. and so the Buddhist Boston. themes are turned in Buddhist Buddhist themes are turned into <laughs> Catholic ones. Um, that's, yeah, that's right. It, it, it's 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 <laughs> fine. I mean, if you don't like Scorsese, it's not going to turn you into a mm. a fan. Um, I don't even know who it was up against the Oscar that year, but I bet it wasn't really that. I bet I bet we could both pick two other films in the list that would be better. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, but it's not horrible. I mean, in the in the big 
in the big scheme of things, remakes of Asian movies, there's some absolute car crashes. This just feel this is a well made but redundant. It doesn't do anything yeah, yeah. new, it doesn't yeah, do yeah, anything enough, extra, it just lifts it, you know. Um Yeah, and some of it just so kind of almost exactly scene for scene. Some mm. of the best scenes in there are to within a, a whisper of being an absolute duplication. Yeah. And doesn't yeah, it, isn't yeah. it like an hour longer than the original film as it's, well? So uh, it's, I, it's, in my head, it's two and a half hours, which probably that's means what it is two, in my head as well. Probably means yeah. it's two hours because once you go over two hours, then you know you're... no 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 film needs to be longer. <laughs> unless than two it's hours three, hour, unless it's three hours. Yeah. Well, if, it, if it makes the full jump to three, I'm okay with it. But two hours twenty, oh. when I see two hours twenty, I'm already marked it down a star just out of grumpiness. <laughs> Um, let's have a look. I mean, it's just, it's too much of it, it's too on the nose. 151 minutes. Oh, you're right, so yeah, two and a half. Jesus Christ. I mean, there's no chance I'd watch it again anyway, but, um, but it's, I, the other thing about it, so many parts, there's so much filler in there, and then there's so many parts of it, you know, whereas you said, the original Infernal Affairs, and we, we've all used the word efficient so many times, and this is not efficient at all. There's so much Mm. stuff in this, which is just nothing. It's just Scorsese being a bit Scorsese and working in like another, you know, sort of gritty-ish street dialogue scene. Um, so there's, there's no... I just don't see any need for it to... Well, I don't see massive need for it to exist, but I don't see any need for him to do it the way he did it because he, he... As you say, like, some parts of it are just... They're just lifted from it. You know, they're just almost shot for shot. And then he just goes off on pointless tangents which don't change or add anything to it. They just add scenes of the actors. You know, it's an actor's film type of thing where it's almost like it's old Scorsese. I mean, he's getting on a bit. He might be in a sleep or something. Just let Marky Mark and old Leo just have at each other and hide from Jack Nicholson and say, don't, Matt da- don't Matt, worry. Yeah, it's got Matt Damon as well. Basically, it's got That's everybody right. in it. And yeah, Ray Winston. Ray Winston turns oh, up I in it as well. In it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a, what accent? Wow. Is he doing an American accent in it? I think he's doing an Irish American, like Boston accent. Right, yeah. okay, I d- yeah. I, It's been a long yeah. time since I've seen it, but I was just, <laughs> I was just checking the Wikipedia page and all these memories are coming back and I'm thinking, Ray I'm still Winston. not. I've completely forgotten about old good old Ray. No, I had no idea he was... <laughs> hardly nil by mouth, is it? <laughs> no. It's hardly scum. <laughs> no, Christ. But, yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it's just... Like I say, I, I, I think I'm, I'm going to give it a little bit of a pass because of those horrendous remakes we've got, especially of some of the sort of those... You know, that, that period where Infernal Affairs came out, we've got all that J-horror stuff coming over. We've got, you know, it is, it is this gateway thing coming through Mm-hmm. for Asian cinema and it's quite nice that one of them wasn't a horror movie because or a romantic tra- it's not The Lake House there's another one The Lake House yes with yeah, Keanu that's right. and which, Sandra which Bullock misses the point completely so, but <laughs> I haven't just, seen it I'm happy to see but hmm. it, it's 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 just it's it's harmless, but it's two and a half hours you don't need to spend when you can go and spend an hour and a half with the original. I get not everybody's into yeah. um, subtitles. Subtitles! Yeah, however, you're, is listen, you're listening to yeah. this podcast, you must be all right with subtitles, unless but you're you, one of those you, early you think most Scorsese fans, you know, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a large part of his box office which isn't taken up with, like, cinephiles or whatever. Um, hate, I do not like the word, but... Well, it sounds like pedof- <laughs> it sounds too much a pedophile. But like, if you, I, you think most proper like Scorsese cinephile fans would be okay with subtitles. So it's an odd choice for him mm. to have. Re- and 
I, I do remember reading something about con, not contractual obligations, but something along those lines. Because I think, is it produced by, who, who produced it in the end? Uh, was Roy Lee involved in it in some way? It, Brad Pitt bought the rights, actually. Oh, it's just his company. But Brad was Pitt, Bruce, Brad Gray, Brad Pitt. Everyone called Brad. <laughs> That's a lot of Brad's in the film. I don't know, but right. e- either way, it, it's just, it just doesn't feel... I don't know, it's a strange choice. Like, so I'm not a big fan of Scorsese at all, but it, it seems like a slightly odd choice for him uh, to, to have done in that respect, to take on a fairly recent film, remake it in a much more sort of traditional Hollywood commercial way packed with big name stars and both you know stick to a simple story then completely overstuff it it seems like a slightly strange move for me but uh, I, I don't know I don't know you, maybe you'll get some angry Scorsese fans coming in now let's hope so well, as, long, as long as they listen as long as they listen audio listen, or, or, uh, listenership or whatever that's the most con- yeah the, <laughs> James hates Scorsese <laughs> that's just what you should just <laughs> just label the podcast that's how we're like. going to advertise yeah. this podcast um so yeah, we got the departed, and I think yeah, I, mean, I wasn't going to kind of go into it before. Was it you know? You, I think you do. This does colour a, a lot of the films that come out of Hong Kong mm. after it. You know, I mean, which I guess was always going to happen. You've got these. You do end up with films like Divergent Cop, and I think it, it gets built into a lot of the Johnny Toes that come after it as well. That 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 you know, some of those films have much more of a. This kind of feel, they're not, they're quite, again, they become quite talky and yeah. a bit of happenstance going on and stuff like that. These kind of kind of ideas, mm. all the way through to, to things like Cold War. Mm. And I think even kind of across Asia, you, you, you can even kind of include um, things like On the Job, which is a kind of, it is a different film, but you know, the, this idea that you've got these prisoners who get let out to do an assassination. And you know, it does start to kind of, it it, it does get into all these films, you know. But it, at the end of the day, I mean, what, what do we think about the, you know, is is the legacy of Infernal Affairs? I mean, I, I for me, I can't think I come back to it's kind of an interesting point, and and actually, even as we're kind of talking about it now, that you've got this thing of the first one, definitely the first film being very Western focused, mm. and then actually the middle one plot line is actually coming up to the handover which is quite interesting um, and yeah. that's in the background mm-hmm. um, and the last one you're having a mainland Chinese character even though they wouldn't have been able to sell the film particularly well to mainland China no. um, uh, it's um, it feels like that for that first one there was something that and it wasn't just in front of affairs it was films like what what uh, Peter Chan was was producing at the time with the particular with the sort of horror side of things. Mm. That there was a moment where stuff was starting to cross over, and then I mean, just pragmatically, lots of people, lots of yeah, particularly Hong Kong directors, refocused to mainland China because the the scene was there. Oh, it's like there was a different path there that, that could have been mm. taken. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to look at home, uh, Infernal Affairs, you know, as you know, just representing Hong Kong so much at that time. The post, you know, the post, you know, handover anxiety was very, very strong. And that's where the, you know, the mirroring and everything isn't always massively subtle. And he's kind of blurring the lines and everything between different identities. Um, And the whole idea of Hong Kong itself being in in continuous hell, you know, going through the finance crisis, SARS, handover and everything. 
you know, whether how we look at that, you know, for Hong Kong today and everything, whether that's <laughs> still something relevant that's continuing. But I think it, that's something Hong Kong cinema, you know, it was doing so much through the 90s as well. It was kind of reflecting a lot of these anxieties and themes, like not knowing what's going to happen with the mainland and everything. And even when we get to the third film um, and stuff with the mainland character in there, not really knowing what they're doing, what's going on, it's, it, it's still... I don't know, there's something about the themes of the film, whether you choose to read into them or not, which still seem actually quite fresh and relevant today, which I quite which I quite like and stuff. I don't think it revolutionised the, the Hong Kong film industry quite as much as uh, some people have reported it as having done and stuff. Because You know, I mean, you're totally right. It inspired not even so much the, the films it inspired, but the look it inspired. I, or it was the first one also, to really typify about, that cleaner look. I think it was also... And it's not it's not a massive twist in in infernal mm. affairs, but there was that, and it, and it also there was a bit of that sort of M Night Shyamalan that every film had to have some sort of twist at the end. Yeah, there was, a and bit it was of that. already, yeah. and it was all to be fair, that was already kind of coming through from the influence of Sixth Sense on things like Inner Senses. You had the mm. the, 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 the last reveal, but yeah. you've got a bit of that, which actually, in kind of hindsight now, feels actually. <clears throat> Not actually particularly shocking in Infernal Affairs as, as much as some of the other things that go on. Perhaps because I've seen it I, and I, I, yeah. I, I remember it. Um, and of course, I mean, we, we completely forgot to mention that, the, you know, that uh, slight spoiler alert, but, you know, that, that we have good old Gordon Lamb in there as well, whose career of over course. the last couple of years yeah. has massively taken off. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, kind of appears in the sidelines and then appears a bit more in some more of the Johnny Toe films that come later. Mm. Um, but... There was this idea, and you get it with division comics and ones that that that, that yeah, definitely in the overheard films and so on. That there's this 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 there has to every film, not necessarily even in the same genre as well. It could be horror, it could be um, kind of crime procedural, police procedural type things. Mm. And there has to be a twist at the end, which actually at a certain point just became really exhausting, particularly when it wasn't done particularly well. And it was that, and again, that wasn't necessarily just Hong Kong films. I think it was in other um, regions as well, but particularly in Hong Kong films, it, that that's one thing that became quite a part of the the film language. Oh, but no, you didn't realise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I think that's fair. I mean, there's something I was going back to something you said right at the beginning, James, about you know, Hong mm. Kong cinema basically was dead at this point. This does feel a bit like the last gasp. This is the last. I can't think of another Hong Kong yeah. film that's really and made it's interesting it internationally. Mm. When we were talking about Time and Tide, we actually kind of foretelling this as, you know, which was uh, what, 1999 or mm. uh, depending on when it was. You know, we had we had a, a good chat about that. This was leading up to that kind of. It was that last, last yeah. few years of, of of really kind of great Hong Kong cinema, and I think we 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 all, we all wanted more. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's not what we got. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying Sadly. there haven't been great, good no, absolutely, Hong Kong absolutely. films, but it's that yes. it's that kind of international appeal, and now it's, you know, the same the same way the you know like Korean cinema and TV has like taken over the world. Mm. It it it, and this is the begin. This is a very similar time period to that first Hallyu wave. Yeah, that's just run and run and run, and Hong Kong cinema for all sorts of reasons. I get it, political and blah blah blah. That I don't really want to get into. Mm. But can you think of many other films that Criterion are going to pick up from Hong Kong post-2002? 
<laughs> Which ones? I mean, how many could they actually get the rights to? It's probably wow, well, yeah, an interesting yeah. question on that score as well. But, um, but no, no, absolutely, it's one of the. If nothing else, like there's not that many which have felt um, as accomplished uh, mm. in, in the genre. We still had some great Hong Kong indie films and uh, some pretty decent comedies and stuff. I mean, less and less recently, but uh, but yeah, th- this was one of those last ones. And this one of the it is an interesting legacy from Final Affairs. Is it's so much of it, it. There's nothing art house at all about it, but there is something, and the fact that Criterion have put it in there. And everything that is kind of elevating it a bit, mm. and I think some of Johnny Toe's films get elevated beyond, uh, not their quality, but and beyond like their, possibly what their sort of you know, cinematic ambitions, if that's the way to put it, were. Which is, I mean, that's something mm. you just get. It's fair enough. We we're always going to have in the West like a certain, different way of looking at films, Asian films, which you know in Asia are. are Perhaps a more. I, I think there's thing. there's definitely a snobby there's a yeah, yeah. air of, of yeah. snobbiness to that you know that. You know, I'm not going to get into a massive um, rant about mm. film criticism and all that, but you know, we we, yeah, from from Europe and and the US, yeah. you know, we're always kind of told to look up to kind of French New Wave yes. as the, yeah. the, you know, and, and in Asian cinema, I think you get a similar thing happening with Japanese film, just because yeah. it, people were more aware of it, I think, earlier. Um, and it, it, the, the industry's existed to a greater extent. But, Mm-mm. you know, this is going back to stuff that we were applauding in the 50s and 60s. Mm. Um, and it's starting to move away from that. And also, and, and on top of that, you've got this, you know, it, it's it's kind of weird and contradictory when you think, of, you know, if you really want to hold up those French New Wave films, where actually lots of stuff was genre. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, yeah, and it kind of really kind of playing around with genre. And yet we, 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 we everything has to be tied to... Um, very serious dramas, you know, that, yeah. that somehow the genre films aren't deserving. And it's like, well, you can't have it both ways, you know? No. There's, there's nothing no. wrong with a really well-made genre film. No, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree, some, couldn't agree more. Well I, well, I mean, I don't know, but I, you know, as I said, I don't want to get into a, already slipping into my little rants about that, but, no, the, but the, the, that is part of it. That is part of well, the... Well, it's part of Infernal Affairs specifically, the way we were saying you know, it's looked at now, because this is not what you'd call auteur cinema. Um, mm. I mean, Lau and Mac are, you know, they, they've done great films in their time. They've done terrible films. I mean, Alan Mack did Nude Fear, which is still probably his best film, um, his first one. Good bit of Category 3. and yeah, But they're not... So this... I just I do find it interesting that Infernal Affairs is partly em, embraced on that side of things. And it being included, you know, by given this treatment by Criterion and stuff. Um, you know, it, it's not so much being remastered as this sort of... Uh, just as like a great, incredibly popular Hong Kong film, which was then remade, which went on. It's there is almost like a, it's being admitted to that kind of club, or, or however you'd call it, without being too cynical about it, where it, it suddenly becomes more worthy. But it is a pretty straightforward genre film when you come down to it, which I which didn't have those kind of ambitions when it was being made. It definitely was appealing to Western international audiences as well, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, you're right. It's not a place to go into a massive discussion on this, but it, it is a very, <laughs> but it is a very interesting subject. And I'm guessing a lot of the people, you know, who like who might actually buy this Criterion one will be, <laughs> they'll, they'll be, hopefully they'll watch the third one because they, you know, they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably the Ouch. funniest part of it is thinking they, you know, some highfalutin cinephiles like buying it and stuff to see this great new wave, whatever they call the wave of Hong Kong cinema. Who knows, man? But then. 
Oh, you're good. Good news. Watch the third one. <laughs> <laughs> That'll learn you. <laughs> yeah, it definitely will. The Infernal Affairs trilogy is available now on Blu-ray from Criterion in the USA and the UK. So thanks to Stephen for joining us for this episode. Pleasure as always. <laughs> always great to have you on the show. It is, um, it is. Don't forget, you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now and you'll never miss an episode. But for now, cheers. 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 <laughs> <laughs> 那一段被遗忘的时光，渐渐地回渗出我心坎，是谁？